Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. In my humble opinion, the best shoemaker in the world is Jeffrey West. I must have bought 70, 75 pairs of these shoes. So my childish fanboy excitement, I can't hold it in. Uh, I'm going to take you with me and I'm about to interview the co-founder of Jeffrey West, Mr. Guy West. So come with me. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and I'm like a kid in a candy shop here. This is my I think it's official that this is my favourite shop in the whole world. Um, uh, the ladies know me very well. I've been buying Jeffrey West since I was 18 years old. So I used to go to university and not go to the, uh, you know, the actual lessons. And I used to get my student loans and I used to go down to the, um, the shop that sold the Jeffrey West in Huddersfield. And I used to go and buy loads of pairs of shoes with my student Zom. loan. Zone, yeah. Zom. Zom. Yeah. Zom, Mo uh, from Zom. You know them all, yeah. Hello, Mo, Mo and, um, yeah. So... To me, this is, I'm very excited to be I'm like one of your biggest fans. So for those of you watching live who don't know, this is Guy West, a, a founder, co-founder of Jeffrey West. So um, first off, Guy, thanks for taking the time out of your day oh, to host you. us. Yeah, We're at thank your, you for coming um, over here. Thank you for making the effort. Would this be your main or your first shop, would you say? Uh, no, this wasn't our first shop. This is our, this is our head office and probably our biggest shop. Because also here we have we have the full collection here, you know, current collection. So we're in Northampton here. Yeah, yeah, in Northampton. Northampton being the centre of the men's shoe trade in the yeah. UK, and and it still is what is left of it. But certainly the top end of men's footwear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is we have our offices here, we have our shop, we have our design studios here. Yeah. So yeah, this is the head office. But we've only been here for about seven years. We our very first shop in Northampton was in Overstone Road, which was probably about twenty five years ago. I would say, but yeah, here, here certainly for seven years. Mm. We opened our first shop in Piccadilly 20 years ago, actually, in April. Right, we happy have birthday. A yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we ought to do something for it. Yeah. Um, the next shop was a shop in the city of London, which we've had for around 15 years, and then Leeds about 13 or 14 years, Manchester around nine years, mm. and then three years ago we opened up in New York. So they're our own shops, yeah. but we also, our main business is also wholesale, like you just mentioned, yeah. selling to independent menswear com um, customers around the country really. Mm. And we still, that is really our main business still. Right, so I'd love to come back to that in a minute, but something I'm fascinated with is, did you like wake up one day and go, you know, I want to be a shoe guy. You know, yeah. I want to make shoes and design shoes. Is it something that's been in your spirit? Just tell us when you knew you were going to do this. I think, I think it was circumstantial to an extent as well, because I grew up just outside Northampton. My mother and father used to run a motel. It wasn't theirs, but they, they ran it. And I met Mark, my business partner, when we were quite young. We were 13 because my father ran, ran this motel and his father used to come there and have a few drinks. It was a very social place. So 
I decided I wanted to go in the shoe trade. We'd been buying up rejects and we started sort of customising them, selling on market stalls. But at first I couldn't get a job, it took me a while. So I got my first job when I was 17. Um, but I think, like I say, it was, you know, possibly if I'd have been in Luton, I might have done hats. I don't know. I was very, very interested in, in music and sort of street fashion. Street fashion was quite different then than it is now. It was, you know, there was there was a real mixing pot. It was the end of punk. It was the end of disco. It was the beginning of new wave. There was also a mod revival. There was also a rockabilly court sort of revival. There was so much going on. It was this complete mixing pot, and everybody had their little tribes. Yeah. Whereas now, I think it's much more brand orientated. But then it was purely driven by music, really. And that's whatever the music and the look of that music was. That's what. That's how you dressed, and that depicted your your fashion sense, really. And so do you think some of the music you love is in your shoes? 100% it yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, there's a huge influence of that. Right. I actually had that question towards the end, but let's jump in now since we're talking about it. So what musical influences are you really inspired by? That well, I, I think that, you know, it's sort of this lineage of art school rock, indie, indie rock, that kind of thing. Quite a, quite a, a British base of music, really. But you can trace it right, obviously, to the Beatles, of course, and the Stones, but then through to Roxy Music and Bowie and then through to... Pulp and Suede and the Libertines, you know, there, there is this sort of lineage, this sort of British art school rock lineage, which has always been a big influence. But then also, like I say, there was, you know, when I was 14 and 15, there was disco, you know, everybody always, you know, all that, you know, disco, keep away. But, <laughs> you know, it was an amazing genre and it was such a fun time, you know, Studio 54 and that, and that influence as well, which really did cross over to that glam rock and roll kind of thing as well so there's a lot of influences in there yeah as far with, with music without a doubt it's probably the, the largest influence amongst other things of course but yeah and the way that we use different phrases and and, and slight li lyrics on the on the shoe and yes you know, writing on the bottom yeah exactly yeah, yeah i love that a bit yeah. tongue-in-cheek you know the slight the irony of it and you know, and the people that get what we do, get what we do. And it's almost, you know, the shoes are meant to bring a spark, smile to your face. Yeah. And would you say there's a sense of rebellion about Jeffrey West? I think so. We've always been the outsiders within the shoe trade as well. Although we do formal shoes, we've always very much done our own look. Not really too worried about what's going on in fashion, but it is a very particular look. And we find that our customers that we deal with are quite individualistic men. You know, they're not necessarily followers of fashion. They're happy to, to you know, to have their own mm. style. And they want something that stands out, whether you like that, whether you don't. But at least it's something that is slightly different, you know, and it isn't just too conformist. Because I think now a lot of men, they're so frightened about not having good taste. What is good taste? <laughs> you know, you know, I amazing. Don't know. Yeah, well, me. exactly. Yeah. What is good taste? Just because, you know, some say, oh, you, could sh you should only wear blue jeans and a white shirt with, you know, with a pair of classic Oxfords. Yeah, fine, it looks all right, but, you know, do something more individual. Surely life's a bit too short just to look like everybody else. So, yeah, you know, there is an element of that as well. Yes, you're right. Mm. I always felt, because I've always really been into fashion, and when I um, set up my businesses, I had to wear relatively formal clothes. Mm. I didn't have to mm. necessarily wear a tie, but you know, so I'd wear, like, Italian suits and I'd wear Jeffrey West, and I felt like that was a bit of individualising. You know, I wasn't wearing yeah. the same normal type of black shoes you know like you could put a tan pair of your brogues with a, a black suit and it, it just had a more of a statement more of an individual way of wearing a business suit mm. well that's exactly it i like suits i love tailoring mm. you know and i always think that but i i like the more flamboyant tailors mm. you know again whether you go back to tommy nutter or you know uh, th th there's several at the moment tom baker mm. and various different tailors in london which you know i like that flamboyant 
tailoring. Yeah. You know, Dougie Hayward and then Mark, um, Mark Powell. And, mm. you know, that's, uh, that really for me is, is what it should be. You're expressing your individuality, but still okay. It's, it's reasonably masculine what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I used to wear my um, Jeffrey Westwood Etro suits. I wore Jeffrey Westwood my Tom mm. Ford suit at my wedding. Mm. And, and that, that still mm. went. William Hunt goes great with William Hunt, mm. you know, Savile mm-hmm. Row. So, mm. yeah, I'd, I'd never really thought of it like that because I've, like I said to you before, I reckon I've bought 75 pairs of your shoes and I never really knew why I was buying them. Um, I knew I loved the look of them. I knew that their quality was there, but there's other shoes you like the look of quality. But I think it is that rebellion, that individual nature that, yes, we're smart, we're formal, but we're unique, we're individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, you know, I think you were the first shoe I ever saw with the red interior and the red at the bottom. Yeah. And so I felt like I wasn't buying a black shoe. No. You, you know, I look at the bottom, the bottom's red. Oh, that's, an in, that's something new. And like, mm. yeah, I think I probably didn't get enough attention as a child and I wanted people to notice <laughs> Yeah, me. that's probably what it is. Yeah. Not, yeah, it's probably me as well. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say is unique then about Jeffrey West? Um, I think, you know, obviously the take that we have on formal shoes, you know, then there's no question. You know, I'm sure plenty of people locally would say, would, would, would disagree with me, but we definitely did change... We did change the local shoe trade. You know, they're all formal shoes, but we, we started to introduce much more chiseled toes and square toes. I'm not saying we invented that at all, because in the 60s there was that. But certainly with the Goodyear welted factories at the time, we were doing something unique. I remember dealing with one of the factories we, we started to work with, and the workforce pretty much refused to make our shoes. And now if you look at their collection, you know, their shoes look very similar to what we mm. make. So. Well, I think it's a prerequisite in success that you actually have to be rejected a lot Mm. and you have to polarise people. And, you know, you you look around this shop, for example, you know, there's a lot of animal, you know, there's obviously leather, of course, but, Mm. you know, there's there's actually um, stuffed animals on the wall and there's lots of women in um, lingerie and things like Mm. that. And, of course, some people people are going to love that, but some people are going to hate that. And Mm. and, and I feel there's that polarisation in... Jeffrey West. And I'm, you know, and I'm, you know, that's what we are. Yeah. You know, there's no, you know, there's no way I'm a sexist or anything. You know, my God, I'm the opposite, totally. (laughs) But however, you know, I'm I'm certainly not going to be a vegan, am I? If I'm, you know, leather (laughs) shoes, you know, the leather is a byproduct of the food industry, Mm. you know, and I would be a hypocrite if that was the case. But Mm. um, no, and also, you know, the the, the whole sort of decadent sleaze and excess, it's very much tongue in cheek. But, Mm. you know, I think people are just so bound up in not wanting to offend or not even wanting to offend that's wrong i don't want to offend anybody but you know seem to but being seem, so careful yeah so yeah, careful that you don't and, express and, who you and, are you know have some fun mm. you know have a bit of a giggle you know it's all done a bit uh, what we do is all very ironic and a mm. tongue-in-cheek but yeah. you know you still like we still like to go out and have a few drinks and dance on tables if we get the opportunity <laughs> you know great <laughs> yeah okay so if it's okay going back over the 25 years mm-hmm. Could you let 30 me know? Now. 30? 30, yeah, wow. it was 30 in November last year. Blimey. 87 that. we started, yeah. Still feel young? Nope. No. So, best achievement, biggest disaster, weirdest thing. Let's start with best achievement. Well, I think probably the first shop that we opened up in Piccadilly. I would say that 
at the time, I'd always wanted to do that. I love London. My mm. family came from London, London mm. you know, and I, and I do, and I, and I love that area. I love the St. James area. To actually get to that point where it's, okay, it's a small shop, but where we could open up, in particular in Piccadilly Arcade as well. We shared a shop just before that, off of Savile Row. Mm. Um, it was a shop called Squire, and we had, a, we had like a little showroom at the back there and had our shoes out in there, but really our first standalone shop outside of Northampton was there. Yeah. So I would say that, that that would have been definitely at the time, yeah. 100%. And then in the 30 years, what's the hardest thing, the biggest disaster, the biggest nightmare, the biggest epic fail? Um, fortunately, we haven't had that many out and out failures. I would say, you know, one of the most difficult aspects of business now is social media. And yeah, we were obviously, a bit of a rant about it yeah, earlier, and, and the internet, you know, it has changed totally. You know, and, and I love shops, I love independent shops. You know, to me, Amazon, you know, I know everybody's got it, the, the fans because they sell the things cheaply, but it isn't a level playing field. If you're a little shop and you've got to pay your employees, you have to pay your taxes, you have to pay, you know, your, your rates. And, and Amazon don't have to even make a profit, whereas a small shop has to make a profit. So I think that. That's been a big challenge for me personally as well to take. Um, we also we worked with a with a with a local factory as well for many years, and we established a handwriting with them. And unfortunately, that factory was sold, and the new owners weren't really interested in dealing with us. So all that sort of heritage that we'd built up with this particular factory pretty much had gone within a season or two. And that hurt, that did hurt, yeah, because it meant that I had to look elsewhere. And there's very few factories left in the county here. So it was, it was becoming more and more difficult for us to make all of our shoes in the UK. We still make some, but then, you know, we make in Italy and we make in Spain as well. So it's, it's actually, as it's turned out, it hasn't been a bad thing because it means that I can experiment much more. So, but that was a challenge. That was a challenge as well. Yeah, uh, so those two things really. Okay, are shoe sales affected by recessions? Yeah, at the moment, um, we're going through, as, you, as we all know, you know, in my opinion, we shot ourselves in the foot with Brexit, but, you mm. know, each to their own opinion. But certainly for us as a business, it's, it has affected us. And footwear, men's footwear, I'm saying it's, it's not a discretionary sale, but it is a little bit, you know, a guy going, oh, I can get away with a bit longer on these, if he's feeling a bit uncertain about his money. And I think there is an uncertainty at the moment, certainly in London, because of the city and because of finance and, and all those allied industries. Because everybody just thinks, oh, it's the banks that are going to go, but what about the people selling them advertising? What about the creative people that are working with them? There's all this knock-on. And so people are feeling a bit insecure, certainly in, an art, in our world, without a doubt. Yeah. On the other side of that, I feel like your brand, as much as any brand, attracts these raving fan nutter collectors like me that, um, you know, I cannot come in this place and walk out without a pair of shoes. That would be sacrilege to who I am. So do you have people who have like hundreds of pairs and all that we kind do, of stuff? We do, yeah, we have collectors. Yeah, we have collectors around the world, mm. yeah. And, you know, several of the customers have actually had sort of a wall in their house built with all the, with all the, with all the little cubicles to put their shoes in. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and had that done. So, yeah, we have a, on our website, we have something called the Rogues Gallery. And there's a few pictures on there, but some of them are quite private about it. They don't want other people to know their shoe collection. Mm. So they won't actually send any photos right. of them in. So, yeah, which is quite amusing. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and the weirdest thing in the last 30 years... Is there anything randomness? Um, 
we've had a few fetish videos put, <laughs> put onto YouTube, and it, and it isn't me. <laughs> yeah, we've had some strange fetishes. Well, you've where you've people got something are, like that about your brand, yeah, haven't you? I can't put Stroking the, the shoes <laughs> and sort of various parts of naked bodies that are being right. rubbed with them and, and what have you. So that's, that's odd enough. But I, again, I think that's great. Mm. To me, it was, I loved it. It was amusing. Mm. Brilliant, that's how it should be. <laughs> so take us back to, you started up pretty much in a bedroom, didn't you? We did, Mark, mm. and, Mark and myself, Mark, my business partner. Um, my parents, as I've touched on, my parents used to run a, a motel just outside Northampton. It was an old Second World War aerodrome, actually. And some of the old bungalows that had been built during the Second World War, where the officers had stayed and the pilots had stayed, they were pretty much derelict. So we, and they'd been, at one point, they'd been bedrooms. So we had one of those that, that all damp and there was all mushrooms growing in the corner. But yeah, that's how we started in there because obviously then we could keep our overheads to nothing really. Mm. And, and so did you hand make the shoes yourself? No, we used to control every aspect of it because there's three main parts of shoe making. One is obviously the cutting and the closing. A cutting, which is, you know, where you cut the patterns out. Then there's the closing and then there's the making. So what we would do, we had a chap that would come, he worked in one of the shoe factories and we paid him in the evenings, paid him cash. We'd, had, we'd, we'd, had the, we'd made the samples, gone out and sold it. And then, because obviously you have a size eight sample, but then you have to grade the patterns to make sevens, eights, nines, tens, elevens, obviously. So the customers had placed the orders. He would come and cut the patterns at night time. We would then take the, the cut uppers ready to, 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 to the closing room where they would then be stitched together. We would then pick them up and then take them to the making room, which was in Highland Ferris. Mm -hmm. So we controlled sort of every part of it. So although we didn't have a factory, we, you know, we were pretty much you know, con controlling that aspect of it um, until such point as we could get a factory to take us seriously enough to make the shoes for us, mm -hmm. to, make, you know, to, to, to take over the whole process. But it was always our own patterns, our own last, our own designs. So, and I guess yeah. that enabled you to almost you know, like they have print on demand for books now, you could make on demand with shoes. So you don't have to have thousands of stock that might... Yeah, back then, it, back then it wasn't quite like that because everything was knives. You've got computer cutting and all various different, all various different technology now. But um, then it was mostly hand cut. So really it was, uh, as I said, you know, our main business is selling. So mm. for instance, let's say we'd gone to Zon, showed him mm. the collection. He'd say, right, I want that shoe in black, that one in brown, that one in blue. And I want eight pairs of this, eight pairs. That would be made to order for him. Yes. We weren't making single orders for individual customers then right. because we weren't, we, we, you know, we were not a retailer. Oh, okay. So mm. the retail came in about, well, about five, five or eight years into the business really. Mm. And then subsequently from there, we expanded that. We do offer a made to order service now, yeah. which is where, I didn't you know, know. Yeah. yeah, for instance, you know, both of us, and we didn't do this intentionally, both wearing the same boots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, for argument's sake, if you wanted the vampire, but you wanted them in blue, or you wanted them in black snake or whatever, you know, we could make that yeah, for you. That's good but it know. has to be one of the existing patterns on one of the existing lasts. Mm. And how did you grow it from a bedroom to, I mean, what I love about Jeffrey West is, obviously you've grown and you're a decent business, you've got a good big business, but you've got a boutique feel. Yeah. So you've not got like an Amazon feel, not knocking them, but you no, know, no, no, you, so you've yeah. still got this lovely boutique feel. So how did you grow the business and scale it and still keep the boutique feel? Yeah, I think being an independent, obviously that comes through because it's still got 
So it's still you and your business partner 50 50. Yeah, it still has our personality. I always think that with restaurants as well. I like to go to personality Mm. restaurants. I don't really like bland chains. But, you know, just because you don't have to just have one, you know, you could have two or three, let's say, but it still has that personality if it's owned by, you know, the name above the door, so Mm. to speak. Um, But at first, when we, you know, because we were young when we first started, Honestly, it didn't think much further than three, three to six months mm. because it was very much hand to mouth. Mm. You know, it really was. We went to the bank. We both sold our cars. We raised five thousand pounds. We went to the bank. They gave us a, a pound for pound overdraft. So it was very, very, you know, slowly, slowly, but keep reinvesting, keep reinvesting, mm. and expanding really. Energy. You know, you had energy then. Wish mm. I've got some of my energy now. Nah. I have them back when I was <laughs> twenty-one, but. Um, yeah, it was going out and, and showing the range and hopefully offering a product that wasn't in the market that we believed in, that, that, mm. that our customers obviously liked. And fortunately, they did. Mm. So, you know, the shops buy the shoes in, they sell them quite well. They go, good, this is great. You mm. know, I'll give you another order next season. And then on the back of that, they've spoken to somebody else that they know, go, oh, yeah, I spoke to Mo, it's on, whatever, mm. you know, and... You know, and then that's how the business grew. But, you know, driving around the country with, a, with my collection in the back of the car, doing a mm. thousand miles a week, you know, it was literally like that. So on entrepreneur meets rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah, 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 quite. On the road, yeah. yeah. Like a, you know, like a band really setting up. You know, you've got to go and do the miles. You've got to go and see the customers. I get a sense that part of you really enjoyed that side of it. I did, yeah. yeah. Absolutely loved it, yeah. Mm. I like being out. Yeah, mm. being out on the road, meeting people and... Yeah, I do. And that, again, that really has sort of changed. Most selling now is done through showrooms in London. Mm. Um, not just us, I mean, in general it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that has changed quite a lot, really, yeah. I think that it's really refreshing to meet someone who still likes the rock and roll road nature of business. Mm. We were talking before, weren't we, about you like to pick up the phone and speak to Absolutely. people instead mm. of it all being mm. sort of emails and social mm. media. So do you think the world's lost a bit of that? Definitely has. You know, I just in the, in the, I was thinking the other day when I first started in the shoe trade, it's lost a lot of the characters because everybody has lost their character because they just sit behind a computer screen all day. Whereas it used to be face-to-face meetings, you know, and then that way you start up a personal relationship. You know, we were talking the other day as well, again, when we first started, you know, the first thing when you went, went to a customer, obviously if, if you weren't driving, but do you want a beer? You know, mm. you have a beer and you talk about the shoes. Now, you know, that's all gone. People want to come. They just look at their spreadsheets, right? Okay, buy it on what you bought. You know, mm. you had last, last season. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, professionalism is great. But I also think professionalism, professionalism has killed some aspects of the creativity, not just in our industry, but I mm. think in a lot of industries. You know, everybody's so paranoid about they've got to be paranoid, can't to be seen to be. Mm you know, to be an individual in any way or show any, you know, any sort of emotion or or, or, or joy, mm. you know. I do think, I honestly feel professionalism has, has affected some businesses adversely. Mm. I wonder if we'll have a switch because generally people sort of um, have had enough of having enough, if you like, or mm. um, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, yeah. you know, like I get that we want economies of scale and efficiencies and we want yeah. to reduce costs and overheads and mm. that's good. Um, but I wonder if we're at the stage now with where many businesses have become quite cold, where we might get a bit of personality mm, back mm, into it. Mm. And I think, I think you see the grassroots of it, don't you really? You know, even take a place like Northampton, you know, there's, there's lots of the backstreet pubs that have been opened up by 
younger people, they've come away from the chains, or, you know, there's a little bakery that opened up here, and there's a couple of, you know, sort of coffee shops that turn into a cocktail, mm. at, cocktail bar in the evening, which are, you know, run by the owners. I do see a little bit of that, but I think it's, it's only really happening in towns like this where people can afford to do it. It's very mm. difficult to do it in London or the major cities because the rents are extortionate, mm. you know. So, yeah, whether there'll be an adjustment on the rents, I don't know, but... Um, I can see it in certain areas that there is a little bit of this coming through, which, you know, lightens my heart, really. Mm. But, uh, yeah, in, in general, I think that, uh, yeah, the joy's been taken out of business a little bit, mm. I feel. That's probably because uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and I think I'd never thought of that either, but I get that, I get that sense of humour, of mm. British irony. Yeah, quite. Exactly. That's what I try and bring through. Yeah. And it's there. It is there. Don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. You know, and that's what the shoes are about. Mm, you know, that, but you know, like I say, so everybody takes themselves so seriously. Got to have good taste, only have to wear certain things. Couldn't possibly wear something that somebody might take the, the mickey a bit, but mm. why not? You know, great, starts a conversation. Yeah. You know, a bit of banter, great. Mm. Goes down well. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why else do you think people love Jeffrey West? I mean, I know we've covered some things. Obviously, but. that there's that streak of rebellious or individuality. And also the fact they can get something different from us, I think. You know, like I say, don't get me wrong, we don't make trainers and we don't make snowboard boots, but within our sphere of what we do, we offer something that's different. Mm. And I believe that still to this day. And, you know, they're not the cheapest shoes, but also, I, you know, I genuinely feel for the quality, it's a reasonable price. We're mm. a small company. Of course we can't compete with a Ralph Lauren or whatever with their buying. But we're offering an artisan product at a reasonable price, but also with that, you know, with that design. Mm. You know, somebody was saying to me the other day, we were talking about Louis Vuitton. I said, well, you do know if you buy a pair of Louis Vuitton, they've probably produced 50,000 of those. You buy a pair of our shoes, they're far more exclusive because we've probably only produced 50 of them. You know, and that's across all the sizes. So, yeah, you know, I think when people get into that and they want to find a brand that is different, that, you know, you're not going to see everybody wearing throughout the whole world, then, you know, they, people do discover us for that. D does that cause somewhat a slight push and pull where on the one hand you want to be exclusive and different and don't want to produce 50,000, but surely there must be a desire to keep growing your business? Yeah, that, yeah, and you have to, as you, you know, as we all know, businesses can't stand still. We have a, our collection, which is called the Muse Collection, mm. which is a, you know, it's a cemented, it's slightly cheaper. But again, even then we don't sell that much of it, but we sell through ASOS and we sell through Zalando and Zappos, so these big internet companies. And, you know, of course, that was one aspect where we did expand our business. Mm. But if we talk purely about our mainline collection, then, you know, it is very much more that sort of smaller, smaller runs of mm. shoes. But then even the Muses, though, to an extent, we'll still make only 18 pairs of some of the Muse collection. Mm. You know, they're in, 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 a, in a leather that, you know, literally is not available anywhere else in the world. So, mm. yeah, we do try and stand away from the, from the crowd. And how has creating the Muse collection which sounds like it's aiming at a slightly lower price market. Has that had any impact on the brand and the business? No, because I think it, it actually introduced us to a slightly younger c customer, albeit very much in this same vein, you know, that indie rock and roll kind mm. of guy. You know, but that's us. You know, mm. I'm, not, I'm not pretending it isn't. Yeah. You know, that's who we are. And mm. I'm quite happy to stand up and say that's who we are. You know, I'm not trying to be all things to all people. Mm. You know, we're, we're not going to be selling huge trainers with, with huge Velcro straps, you know, for, for the hip-hop guys. It's just not us. You know, nothing against that, but it's just not us. Our look is that. So we do find that we, 
you know, those young lads that are coming through that are perhaps getting into this kind of music or the, the equivalent, whether it's the Arctic Monkeys or, you know, or Catfish and the Bottleman or whatever it is, that kind of look, then they perhaps do find us or discover us. So, yeah, that's what it's, they're, they're, you know, that's what it's doing, really, mm. yeah. So we talked about music being real influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, on your website, you list some cultural influences, and I think mm-hmm. that there's definitely, uh, you get a feel of culture. There's a lot of wood. You know, you've bought antiques and re-upholstered them and things like that. Um, it, you look like you're a collector yourself with all of the yeah. pieces that you've bought. So do you, can you talk about other cultural influences? Um, well, obviously, the, 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 you know, there was always the, the original Hellraisers. Not, this isn't quite culture, we'll touch on that, but... Richard or any Burton, influences. Yeah, in Richard the, Burton, yeah. Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole, um, Keith Moon. You know, those kind of guys. They, I know they're from a completely different era, but they mm. lived their lives. You know, for, for me, you know, they were the sort of the ultimate mm. rock and rollers, really. Mm. And then subsequently from there, then we, you know, like I say, you've got Keith Moon or Ollie Reed, those kind of people. So they, they, they've been a huge influence. But then, you know, also uh, I was very influenced by Victoriana, you know, and that whole Gothic revival from whether it's St Pancras Station or you know, mm. or, or various different churches in London and, and, and around Europe. So the touches from that kind of architecture as well came through. We did an arrowhead brogue shoe. There's various different aspects that, you know, that you can see in the designs mm. that have very much been influenced by Gothic architecture. Mm. And, and then, yeah, and then also, you know, the dark side, whatever that may be, whether it's Hannibal Lecter or Bram Stoker or various different various different heroes is that, or Was heroines. that what inspired the red or was that not Well, linked? the last we've got on is actually called Lugosi. Right. And it's got, it's, I don't know whether you noticed when you had them, but that's actually Bella Lugosi's signature on the bottom there. That's his, <laughs> you see it? See, it's Bella Lugosi. And there's a little, there's a little quote from, uh, from Dracula on the bottom of the shoe there from the book Dracula. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so yes, there's a, the and then can you see from the, excuse me, you can see my hairy leg, <laughs> but can you see that the, the, the Gothic architecture yes. touches on there? Yeah. So that's, that's, you can see how mm. they're coming together really. Mm. And then, you know, then on another one of the boots, there'll be a, you know, there'll be a quote from a, from a song that I particularly like, you know, and it's much more rock and roll influence. So there's various different influences, mm. yeah, cultural influences. I'm getting a real education here because I've always enjoyed the writing, seen the writing, not always known where it's come from. Yeah. Um, and I love that detailing in work. Mm. It's almost like, hey, you can wear this with a suit, hey, you can wear this with a pair of jeans. But if, you know, like, if we really want to get to know each other, read the writing, go and do yeah, some research. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and most of the shoes will have a story to mm. them. You know, wh- whatever the last is called or whatever the little caps, you know, the caption on the bottom mm. or in, inside the shoe as well. You know, there's a story to most of them. And is, and is this in part... It, sorry, sorry, go on. No, 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 no. no I was no, just going to say, is this in part you're trying to get your message through against these big, cold corporate machines? Yeah, I is suppose it? so. It's trying to express you, your, this serious snakeskin jacket isn't a symbol of my individuality. You know, mm. it's that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. you know. But, yeah, it is. It's, 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 you know, it is expressing our individuality, mm. definitely, yeah. And yeah. how do you balance... Because I always, I'm really always intrigued by the balance of art and creativity mm-hmm. and capitalism and consumerism. Because mm-hmm. 
ultimately, let's be real about this, if you want to be able to do your art and love your work, you've got to make your 20% profit margin. You've got to make a profit. You have Um, to, yeah. But you don't want to maybe sell out or become Mm. a cold machine. Mm. So how do you balance those two forces? Yeah, there you are. That's the million dollar question, isn't it? I often think about that. It is like that. You know, a business has to make money. But also, you know, if it's a lifestyle business as well, you know, you want to... Yeah, you you know you you want to have some integrity as mm. well with what you're doing. You don't just want to sell out. You mm. want to do something that you personally like. But it is striking balance. Obviously, some of the shoes. You know, not every pair of shoes that I would wear myself, but the majority I would. Mm. So you're saying you're making some shoes for other people for a market to run a business. Yeah, we're still within yeah. our within our sphere. But mm. you know, maybe some of the shoes that we do that are that are yeah, I say watered down, but plainer maybe for a work shoe. Mm. You know, I, fortunately I can wear whatever I want to wear, <laughs> yeah. you know, as you can. Yeah. But I understand that some people can't. So they still want to buy into Jeffrey West and go, well, actually, I like that, but I just want a plain front on yeah. that. You know, that still fits in with you know with 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 what we want to achieve. But yeah, you know, you you do have to make some compromises. There's mm. no doubt. Mm. You've got a business partner. I've got a business partner and it's really been huge for me. Um, how has it been working with a business partner? The ups, the downs, has it been great for you having a business partner? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, with with any, it's a relationship, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah, of course you have your ups and downs. But I think that, as you know, we've very much had our own aspects of the business. Mark's very good with figures and, you know, he controls the business well there. I'm much more of a product and aesthetic person. So, you know, we have our strengths and our weaknesses mm. and hopefully, you know, they, they sort of combine. And how have you managed to maintain your partnership and not had Jeffrey make an issue company over there and West make an issue company over there? 30 well, years is a long time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I think, you know, th- there has to be trust, like mm. in any relationship. Even in a marriage, if you don't trust each other, you either trust each other or you don't. Yeah, yeah. For me, there's no, there's no grey area. You can't say, oh, I'm 95 <laughs> trust my yeah. wife. Either you trust her or you don't, otherwise you'd be going for, a, you know, or, or husband or whatever, mm. you'd be going through their phone bill or, mm. you know, or seeing if there's any hairs on the back of their neck. You know, <laughs> you either you trust or you don't. Yeah. You know, and that's how I see it. I'm mm. quite a black and white person anyway. So, yeah, yeah you have to. Mm. Otherwise, you just drive yourself insane. Mm. Mm. And, um, once the trust is there, are you good at just letting them crack on with it? Because some people try and micromanage people or, you know, like they're a bit too controlling or perfectionist. Are you okay with all that? Mm, yeah, to an extent, I think. You know, obviously, yeah, you know, there's things like, oh, yeah, we need to be doing that or we're not doing this. Mm. And this is a small business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you do sometimes get a bit involved in a minor tie, yeah, yeah, which is a mistake. Mm. But, yeah, you know, guilty as accused sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. None of us are perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the future for Jeffrey West? What's next? Um, well, obviously, we opened this shop up in New York three years ago, and it's being—you know—it's just about bedded in now. So there's the possibility of um, perhaps expanding what we do in North America. Yeah. We're also looking um, into Dubai as well of opening up a Jeffrey West shop. We're actually going in two weeks' time. Something that we've looked at many times. Actually, we've been approached by s- several different companies, but they've never been the right fit. But we're talking with somebody at the moment and they seem to be the right fit. So perhaps, you know, perhaps a little bit of expansion there mm. on the retail side. Right. And, you know, obviously we're doing our accessories and various different different um, collaborations in? that we're yeah. doing. We're looking at collaboration with Dartington Crystal at the moment because we did our own wine, which mm. is called um, Rochester's Blood. So we're doing sort of a crystal collection to sort of, you know, have your 
the wine glass with various different captions on that we use on the shoes. So mm. yeah, again, all very much tongue in cheek and irony, but yeah, it's various collaborations mm. as well that are coming up. Do you think really long term in a sort of a, a grand master plan or do you just love to sort of roll with how it rolls? What is there is say God laughs at a man with a plan. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, obviously you do have to have some kind of idea, but mm. yeah, my experience in business is that uh, yeah, you try lots of things and hopefully one of them works. Mm. So you're never quite sure which one that might be. And after 30 years, you're still all right with that? Yeah, that yeah, 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 I am really, yeah, mm. yeah. I, yeah, you know, obviously you put things into place like your pension fund and, you know, things yeah. like that. You have to, yeah. of course, yeah. if you, that kind of planning. But, you know, as far as, uh, as, far as designing or, 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 you know, introducing different aspects to the collection, we're trying different mm. things, yeah, all the time. So you, you like taking risks, do you? Um, probably not as much as I used to. And is that an age thing or <laughs> yeah, being a parent so. thing? I think, yeah, yeah, a bit of both mm. really now, I think so, yeah. A bit of both really, mm. yeah. Well, there's no question, you must know that. Yeah, well, as soon as, I, as soon as my kids were born, I started getting scared of everything that yeah, I never used to get scared of. Exactly, yeah, so it is. So, yeah, if you want to be a maverick all your life, don't get married, no. you don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like doing a bit of a quick fire. Um, yeah. Hey, look, you can be a long fire. If you want to take ages on them, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, how many Jeffrey West do you have in your own personal collection? 140, 150, maybe. Are you allowed to just have them, or do you have to? Well, I'm a size. Pay cost? I'm a size eight. So oh, that's convenient. Some, yeah, if there's some wear <laughs> testing that needs to be done. <laughs> so we were talking off. You, you taught me a lot already about stuff I don't know about shoes, but size eight is the main sample size. Yes, it is. Because yeah. it was the old average. Yep. So you're conveniently a size eight. I am. I so am. you conveniently test all the samples. Yeah, I do. I do cut my toenails quite regularly. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Great. And, and what what's the biggest collection of Jeffrey West you've heard someone has outside of yours? We have a customer in Canada who has probably about 180 pairs. Wow. So he has more than the founder of the company. So I think he may. I may have a cupboard somewhere. You need to somewhere. stuffed animal of him, I think he? I may have a cupboard somewhere that I haven't counted. I'm sure <laughs> I must have, but yeah. 181, Rob, I think yeah. he may. I think he may have, yeah. I think he may pairs, have, yeah. yeah. But he, he, I'm not saying dissimilar to you, but I'm not saying similar to you, but mm. he travels around the world and he, you know, he's public, public speaking in, yeah. in, in his profession. Mm. And he, all, he will never wear the same shoes twice. Mm. It's almost become his signature. People ex- wait to see what shoes he's wearing. Right. So this has been... That, it's, yeah, that's good so for your business. It's good for my business, but it also, it's given him a point of difference as well. So it's almost a business tool for him, mm. in effect. So, yeah, I can totally see where he's coming from on it. And he really, you know, he says, really, when I turn up, turn up at these conferences, everybody says, what shoes are you going to be wearing? What are they going to look like this time? What mad pairs are you going to have on? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, well, she's amazing, which is brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Walking yeah. advert for you. Yeah, yeah, quite. How many pairs of shoes should every man own? I mean, you know, like staple, wardrobe. What, including trainers? Let's just talk shoes. Just shoes, mm. uh, at least a dozen. Yeah. At least a dozen, yeah. And, you know, as we all know, always rotate your shoes, never wear the same shoes, you know, day in, day out, because they don't get a chance to, to, to dry out. But yeah. I would say at least a dozen that you can wear. Yeah. That's not, you know, your ones you had 30 years ago, you don't really wear them, but you can't mm. actually bring yourself to get rid of <laughs> yeah. them, which there's quite a lot of guys like that out there. That's actually, you know, 12 pairs that you would wear. Right. 
Do you ever get decision fatigue where you're like, uh, 180 pairs of shoes, uh, No, we all have our favourites, don't we? Yeah, Yeah, we all have our favourites. So occasionally you'll go back to them. Yeah, but, you know, like I say, mine, my 140 pairs, I probably have 20 or 30 that I'm actually wearing it. And even that sounds excessive, doesn't Mm. it? But, yeah, in my bedroom, I've probably got 20 or 30 laid out there. Yeah, they say 80-20 rule, don't they? Yeah. You know, 80% 80 of them you don't wear, 20% of them you do. Right, okay. Yeah, Yeah, well, yeah, mine's probably a bit more than that. Mm. I wear a few more. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. Do you have any other shoe brand that you like? Um, I have ones that I like. I don't have any I wear. No. No. <laughs> no. I know, to be honest, ever since we started, I haven't really. I've never, ever been a trainer person, even when I was a teenager. Mm. I didn't like... Tra- I only wear trainers for sport. You know, I do sport. Um, but, yeah, only have ever worn trainers. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Trainers for sport. Yeah, it's just not my thing. Mm. You know, right. and, it, and that was before we had a shoe company. Well swerved know. to not yeah. drop someone else's yeah, yeah, shoe yeah. name in there. Um, style icons you really like. I mean, I know you mentioned some names. Only style icons you like? Yeah, I could say Richard Burton, but um, Brian Ferry, mm. uh, obviously Bowie, you know, I'm sure he says any, that. Um, but any ones for the younger audience? Any yeah, modern ones? Yeah, um, I, I like Pete Doherty, you know, yeah. he, I thought he got a great style, mm. you know. There, there's lots, you mm. know, the, um, uh, what's the lead singer out of the Arctic Monkeys? He's a um, Turner, Alex Turner, he's got a great look at the moment. His look changes. Mm. Um, that Mark Ronson guy, you know, he's got a fantastic look. There's loads, Andre 3000, you know, the lists. I've got friends in bands as well, they're going to kill me. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got some great friends in bands as well and mm. they, they all look amazing. But mm. um, yeah, I think there's some, there's some cool guys out there. Yeah, there's some other people that I don't see you like their style, <laughs> but you know. But this is a own. positive interview. So. Yeah. Favourite designer? Um, <sighs> do you like Vivian Westwood? Yeah, I like Westwood. Yeah, yeah I, I do like Westwood. Mm. Can I choose a tailor instead? Yeah, please. Tommy Nutter. Yeah. Okay, great. If you had to pick your favourite band or your favourite artist, musician, who would it be? Roxy Music. Yeah. Mm. What's wrong with the world that you want to change? Other than Amazon. (laughs) Yeah. Social media. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I just think you fantastically, perfectly, elegantly, sartorially fit the bill. What would you say disruptive means as a word to you, as a concept? Disruptive for me would be do your own thing, you know, very much don't listen to other people. Well, you know, within reason. <laughs> don't not listen to somebody if you're going to jump off the, the Empire State Building or something. <laughs> but yeah, but no, don't listen to other people. Do, you know, do what you want to do. If you make a mistake at it, fine. But at least you did it. You took a decision and you did it. You know, that's being disruptive for me. It's making your own, making your own mind up, you know, and, and doing what you do rather than just because somebody else thinks that that's what you should be doing or that's what, you know, social norms, you know, expecting of you. Yeah. Do you think that takes some courage and bravery to be like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. 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 Do you think the world needs more individuals? 100% it does at the moment, mm. yeah. And do you think social media makes it difficult to be an individual because it's a veil we hide mm. behind? Because mm. I think there's a lot of people posting stuff on social media, but I don't think that's really who they are, how they're feeling mm. Mm. behind it all. Mm. No, I agree with you. I, you know, I think... <laughs> You know, the geeks have taken over the world. What happened to all the cool kids? That's what it, that's what it feels <laughs> to me sometimes. It really yeah. does. Because you've got, you know, people just seem to toe the line. You know, even Zuckerberg, I know everybody goes how, 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 you know, how amazing he is. But for me, he's not. 
you know, he really isn't. Okay, he made a lot of money, but he made a lot of money and he's a clever guy because he could see that there was this website that he'd got where he was, you know, <laughs> basically girls that had, that had spurned him. But I wouldn't look up to somebody like that. I'd much rather look up to Richard Burton. Mm. You know, he, for me, is somebody that, uh, you know, that I would admire. So, mm. yeah, we do need, I think we need more Mavericks. Yeah, mm. 100% we do. Mm. And I think that's a perfect way to finish. Mm. Guy, okay. thank you very much. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Before you go, here is your chance to win one of 11 £3,000 four-day property investing masterclasses to celebrate my company Progressive Properties' 11th birthday. I absolutely love Guy West and Jeffrey West. I hope you enjoyed the interview. So I thought I have to save the question for this interview. Are you ready? You want to be quick. Here we go. So Jeffrey West collaborated on creating a wine with Darlington Crystal. What was the brand, the name of the wine? Let me repeat that. Jeffrey West collaborated on creating a wine with Darlington Crystal. What was the brand of that wine? This is what you need to do. Email me personally at rob.more at progressiveproperty.co.uk. That's rob.more, M-O-O-R-E, at progressiveproperty.co.uk with your answer. And if you're one of the first 11, and I'm also running this competition concurrently on the Progressive Property Podcast too, if you're one of the first 11, you'll win one of our £3,000 four-day property investor masterclasses. Now, if you've done that course already, don't worry, I'll give you an equivalent course that you might want for free in replacement. So email me now and happy birthday to us, 11th birthday. Good luck to you. Thanks for tuning in.